All right, what's going on, Eden Church? It's so good to see you here today. So good to have you. My name is Daniel. If we haven't had a chance to meet, love to get a chance to meet you. I'll be at the Connect Center after service, dressed through the backside of the walls. Do want to say a special welcome to all of you who are tuning in online. We're so grateful that you can stay engaged. And if you are in person this morning, you may not know this, but every week we have about 30 to 50 people who are engaging in the service live online. And we just want you to know we love you. Can we show them some love? All of our people who are tuning in online, very grateful for them. Now today is a special day because we are wrapping up the series that we've been in over the last few weeks called Healthy Relationships. And over the last few weeks, we have been looking to Scripture to gain perspective so that we can become the type of people who are surrounded by healthy, life-giving, soul-satisfying relationships. And some of you may come into a room like this and you wonder, why are we talking about relationships? Aren't there more important things to be discussing regarding our spiritual development? Actually, Scripture says a lot about how much God cares about how we relate to other people. And so over the last few weeks, we've been talking about it. Week one, we talked about the power of community and how the right people at the right time in your life can change everything about your trajectory. And this is just a reminder that uh, next week we are launching our Eden groups. And we have been talking about this for the last several weeks. And I know that there are some of you that are still on the fence. Because what you're doing is you're looking at all the other things that you have to do on your schedule. You're looking at all the other responsibilities. And you're saying, surely there is no time. What I want to encourage you to do this week is to, is to prayerfully consider uh, stepping into community because we do think that it has the power to change your life. There is something special that happens here on a Sunday morning as we gather together, but there is something so much more rich and potent and relationally developing that happens when you join a group of people who are trying to make sense of how to follow Jesus in the Silicon Valley in the 21st century. Okay, it's a challenge, and you need some folks to help lift your arms, and so I want to encourage you, consider signing up for a group. Uh, you commit a, a month of your life to this, you will see how you begin to experience God in a fresh way. So I want to encourage you to do that. So week one, we talked about the power of community. Week two, we talked about how to deal with your past. And, and what we learned or maybe revisited is that just because our past impacts our present, it doesn't mean it has to dictate our future. And I hope that some of you uh, have been able to lean into that over this last week. Today, I want to talk about how to fight like a peacemaker. How to fight like a peacemaker. I don't know. Uh, if you guys have been on Twitter lately, okay, that's a social media platform some of you may be aware of. Well, I recently went on Twitter a few weeks ago for the first time in a very long time, and I just want to warn you, it is an interesting place. Okay, I thought I was, in, I was being invited uh, to a party with a bunch of friends, and I realized it was just an angry mob of people that were ready to fight. And uh, if you know what I'm talking about, you can give me an amen in the back there, or not. Okay, I'm alone in that. Uh, but it was a bunch of angry people. And I'm not talking about a bunch of angry, politically inclined people. I'm talking about a, a bunch of angry, religious people. And, uh, and I went on this group conversation. It was just one angry, mean, vindictive post after the other. There was character uh, smearing. There was name calling. And, and I was a little bit shocked. But it also reminded me of how much there is unhealthy forms of conflict in, all around us in our everyday life. For some of us, it may be where we find ourselves on social media. For some of you, it may exist in your family. 
For some of you, it's in your marriage or in your friendships or in your workplace. Or some of you, there's a car mechanic that maybe is just not very nice in the way that they communicate with you. Okay, I've had all those, all those experiences. And so what I'm about to say, I just want you to know, is not statistically supported with any sort of research. It's just an inclination. But I think that Twitter and other social media platforms have influenced how many people in our culture handle conflict. And what I have learned is that it's not very helpful. I have never personally had an experience watching people argue on social media and it ever produced peace in that relationship. But I wonder, what if it doesn't have to be that way? What if conflict could be good for your relationship? What if, what if it could be a healthy part of your development? What if it is a productive, uh, it has a productive place in the development of your relationship? What if I told you that it was possible to honor people that you were in conflict with and it didn't have to devolve into pettiness? Today I want to talk about how to fight like a peacemaker. Who's ready to fight like a peacemaker? And how some of you are like, nope, nope, that was me on Twitter. I'm ready to fight like I'm on Twitter. There was one time where Jesus was speaking to a crowd of people and uh, it was at a season in his ministry where it was beginning to grow and people had heard about this man who was teaching things in a way that had never been taught before and he was performing miracles. And so they traveled from the regions surrounding Galilee and they showed up and they found Jesus. And so Jesus walks to the top of a hillside and he begins to tell these people a better way to live life. And everything that Jesus said in this talk was counterintuitive to the ideas that people had that they thought produced happiness. In fact, there's a whole section of this talk where now we refer to it as the Beatitudes, but it begins with the phrase, blessed are those. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are those who are humble. And the same word in Greek for blessed is the word, it's the word makarios, and it can also be translated as happy. And so Jesus goes through this long list of description describing characteristics that actually produce happiness in a person's life. And one of those attributes have to do with how we engage with conflict. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. It says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. To be a peacemaker is to be someone who brings unity in the midst of a fractured world. And Jesus said, if you work for peace, then you have the same spiritual DNA as God. It's a sign that you are part of God's family. Now, I don't normally like to be controversial on a Sunday morning. I know that it's not always a place for that. But today I want to address something, and I want to let you know uh, about who's in your midst. Uh, we have Raider fans in this church, okay? We have Raider fans in this church, and I'm not going to ask you to identify yourselves but this is what I know about Raider fans, okay? You only become a Raiders fan if your dad was a Raider fan. And this is what I also know about almost any other sports teams, right? If your dad is a Niners fan, guess what? You become a Niners fan. Sometimes you don't have a choice. And you ask why that is. Because in an ideal scenario, you spend time with your father and you admire your father. And eventually you begin to adopt the patterns of people in your life that you admire and spend time with. Jesus is saying that being a peacemaker is a sign of the nature of your relationship 
with God. If you are a peacemaker, you are carrying attributes of someone that you admire and that you're in relationship with. And so this morning, I want to ask an honest question. Don't raise your hand. Don't respond verbally. But how would you describe your behavior the last time that you were in a serious conflict with someone? Some of you are saying, that was this morning on the way to church. So it's very, doesn't require a lot of memory to take place. That was my wife and I the first few years. But I wonder if we were given a recording of that conversation that you had with that person, would it prove that you're a peacemaker? Think about the last argument that you had with your spouse, perhaps. I was preparing for this message when that happened. And so I needed to know that I was applying the principles that I was going to teach. So I was listening real good. I was repeating back what I thought I heard. And, um, and I was ready to receive feedback. But isn't this important, right, to think about those moments of conflict? Because there is probably no place where our relational health is more evident than when we are in conflict with other people. There is no place where our relational health is more evident than when we are in conflict with other people. Because conflict has a way of revealing what is really inside of you. Right? You say things in the midst of a conflict that if you were in your right mind, you would never say. And you do things in the middle of a conflict that if you were in your right mind, you would never do to even your worst enemy. And I'm not even going to talk about what you think about. Okay, We hope that no one ever finds out what we think about someone else that we're in conflict with sometimes. Right? It reveals what is inside of us. And there's a few reasons for that. Because conflict is uncomfortable for most people. For most of us, we avoid conflict whenever possible. It's a source of anxiety. It's a place of fear. It's a source of pain. And the reason why we avoid conflict is because none of us act like ourselves when we are uncomfortable. Number two, conflict is unusual. Part of why it's uncomfortable is because we live in a culture that avoids conflict. And when you avoid conflict, it becomes less a part of your normal rhythm for life than it should be. And so what that means is that you are observing a bunch of people who have not engaged in conflict as often as they should, and they haven't done it well uh, because they haven't done it enough to be good at conflict. And so we don't practice healthy conflict oftentimes. And then the third reason is that conflict is just painful, right? The painful part of conflict is that you are forced to be in relationship with someone who sees the world differently than you do. And the degree of pain that you experience in conflict is usually tied to how much you care about the thing that you're upset about, how much you're going to be required to change, and just general basic personality types. In some of the pre-marriage counseling work that we do, we talk about personality types and how they manage conflict differently. And there are two general uh, personality types, or at least that we default to. One is characterized as a rhino. Okay, everybody knows what a rhino is. If you don't, you can look it up on your phone real quick. But it's, it has a horn, a few horns on. It's an African animal, I think. Um, but some people, when you get angry, you become a rhino, right? You get angry, you focus, you wear your heart on your sleeve. And like a rhino, when they are about to attack them, they just put their head down and they run right into it. My wife, believe it or not, you're not going to believe this, we're airing out some dirty laundry in public. Uh, she is a self-professed rhino, and that's how some people deal with conflict. The other personality type is what we call a hedgehog. And when a hedgehog gets angry, they become quiet 
They become withdrawn. A hedgehog will curl up in a ball, and it exposes all of its spikes, right? It's not that hedgehogs don't get angry. It's that they just show it differently through really helpful forms of sarcasm and selective hearing <laughs> and passive aggression. That happens to be my communication uh, pattern of choice. And none of these are helpful forms of dealing with conflict. None of these lead to peace. Why? Because they're a defense mechanism, right? They are intended to defend themselves. They are self-preserving. And that means that they are trying to survive with as, as little emotional damage as possible, and they do not care what happens to you in the process. And then they attack others. They become weapons against their perceived enemy. None of this helps to create a peaceful environment and relationship. And this is where most of us tend to default, one or the other. So then the question is, how do we become peacemakers in our relationship? Number one, you cannot make peace if you are not at peace. You cannot make peace if you are not at peace. They call Jesus the Prince of Peace, which is why the more connected we are to Jesus, the more we experience peace in every direction of our life. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. This is a great passage to, to memorize. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Thank God for what he's done and tell him what you need. Then we will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand and will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying that when we connect to God in prayer, it has the power to produce peace inside of us, right? It's not a magic bullet, but it is a discipline to be developed. And I think it changes the way that we think about our peace because sometimes when something steals our peace, we think that we have to go and wrestle it back from that thing. But actually, what this passage reminds us is that that thing never had our peace in the first place. God has our peace. He gives us peace. It comes from him. And the truth is, is that you can only give what you have. And life without the peace that comes from Jesus is just a manufactured form of peace. And it doesn't hold up when you need it the most. It doesn't hold up when you realize that something is not going to go to plan the way you thought it was. It crumbles with your plans. Number two, peacemakers don't get distracted by the chaos. Peacemakers don't get distracted by the chaos. Sometimes people with all the right intentions to do good when they step into conflict become part of the conflict themselves. They get caught up in the chaos. You know what I'm talking about. When Kayla and I did premarital counseling, we sat through all the right tools to engage in healthy conflict. And we thought, this is going to be so easy. We have all the tools. Whenever we get upset at each other, we just apply these principles, and voila, the problem is gone. Okay? Well, you know that's not how it works. Okay? When we started getting in conflict, this is what we did with the rule book. We got this rule book, we opened up the window, and we threw it out so that we didn't have any... Right? It's hard. It's easy to get caught up in conflict. It's like when Paul says in Romans chapter 7, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do. A few people from our team this week, we went to this half-day conference on leadership anxiety. And that wasn't for us, because we weren't anxious. It was for, so we could share with you guys what you need help with. I'm just kidding. It was for us. But we went to this conference on leadership and anxiety, 
And the speaker was talking about the prevalence of chronic anxiety in our culture. He was talking about how his team on the staff that he works with recognize when he's starting to display behaviors of conflict, uh, of anxiety, because it starts coming out in patterns that they've all seen in him before. And he says members of his staff will come to him and they will kindly acknowledge the behavior without being judgmental or attacking him because they don't want to allow for his anxiety to create an unhealthy work culture. And so what they do is they've got to see above the chaos. They recognize these patterns of anxiety that are manifesting themselves in his life, and they address it, but they don't get caught up in it. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And I know that there's probably a lot, if you're like me, I think most of you are better than me, but if you're like me, there's a lot of logical reasons in your mind to repay evil with evil, right? You want to show someone how it feels to be treated the way that you were just treated. How will they learn, Lord, if they don't know how it feels? Do you think that Jesus was ever unaware of that strategy in conflict? He was. He was aware of it. He addressed it, and he said, don't do it. Instead, he says, repay evil with blessing so that you can inherit a blessing. When they're aggressive, you be gentle. When they're, when they're mean, you be kind. When they're greedy, you be generous. When they go low, you go high. I remember hearing a story of a husband and a wife who were on the verge of divorcing. And so the husband goes into the counselor, the marriage counselor's office, and he just goes on and on. He complains about his wife, and he tells the counselor all the reasons why they weren't meant, being, meant to be together, all the reasons why he was trying to make it work, and she didn't want it to work. And so the counselor responds. She says, uh, if you really want to get back at your wife, for one month, be kind to her. For one month, love her and serve her. When she's upset, you be there for her. When she yells at you, you don't respond back in anger. And she said, then whatever... When she's least expecting it, that's when you're going to serve her those papers to make it really hurt, to really make it sting, to get back at her for all the pain that she's caused you. And so he said, okay, well, I'll give it a try. And so he goes back, and week after week, he's applying these principles in his relationship. He's kind when she's mean. He's soft and gentle when she's aggressive. And, and a month goes by. And the man comes back into the counselor's office, and he says, I did everything you said. When she was mean, I was kind. When she was impatient, I was patient. And when she was loud, I was gentle. And three weeks into that process, I tore up the divorce papers, and we fell back in love. That is the power of a soft spirit. Peacemakers can rise above the chaos that is in conflict. Number three, being a peacemaker requires forgiveness. It is impossible to have the bitterness of unforgiveness in your heart and peace at the same time. When you forgive someone, you are releasing the bitterness inside of you. And that is honestly one of the hardest things to do in life, to forgive someone who has deeply hurt you, to forgive someone who has not apologized for what they have done to you or even acknowledged that what they did was wrong. 
and even to forgive someone whose actions still adversely affect your life. But look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Paul is saying, forgive because you have been forgiven. Not because they deserve it. Not because they have earned it. Not because they've demonstrated or acknowledged the pain that they've caused. Paul is putting it back on you. He's saying, forgive because you were forgiven. And he's saying, release the bitterness. Someone once said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison, thinking that you're going to make someone else sick. And I don't want you to hear that when we talk about forgiveness, we're saying that there's no consequences to people's actions. When we talk about forgiveness, we're not saying for them, for you to give your access to these people back into your life if they haven't changed. But all I'm saying is that once you release the bitterness, you can live free and truly become a blessing to others in your life. Do you know who the greatest peacemaker was of all time? He was a man who was betrayed by his closest friends. He was a man who was abused by people that he didn't know. A man who was wrongly convicted of a crime that he didn't commit and who hung on a cross after being beaten and tortured for hours. And as this man hung on the cross, he looked out at the chaos of the very people who were committing these crimes against him. And this is what he said. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Being a peacemaker doesn't mean that we avoid conflict. It just means that we engage in conflict differently. It means that we do so with the heart of Christ. And we don't assess the value of people when they're at their worst moment. But we remember that these are image bearers of God. That the people that we brush arms with every single day are people that God died, sent his son to give up his life so that they would be redeemed and restored. And what we recognize is that hurt people hurt people. And if there is pain coming out of someone's life, manifested in your life, it is because there is some deep source of pain in their life. Can you imagine what would happen to your relationships if you became a sacrificial peacemaker? And not just in your relationships, but in your entire life. Can you imagine how it would change? And not just your life, but the lives of people all around you who are watching how you engage with conflict. The lives of your children who watch how you engage in arguments with your spouse or the lives of people who watch how you interact on social media, or how you manage conflict at work. Can you imagine how counterintuitive in our culture it would be to live like Jesus in conflict? There are some of you that are here today that I think the person you have to forgive the most and the person that you are in conflict with the most is the person that you wake up and look at in the mirror every morning. There are some of you that have battled with things that nobody else knows about. 
There's some of you that are hurting in places that no one can even imagine. And you need to make peace with yourself. And some of you have tried, but you realize that you can't do it on your own. And if that's you this morning, I think you came to this place because you sensed that there was an answer here. And the good news is that there is. That there is a God who loves you and who has been pursuing your life since the moment that you were born. And as far as you tried to run from God or forget God or get busy with other things besides God, he has been there faithful, waiting for the moment that you would begin opening up your heart back to him again so that he could do all the healing work in the deepest levels of your life that you can't do on your own. But one thing has to happen first. You have to be willing to release your heart to God. You have to be willing to invite him in to do that work because God will never force him into your life. And this morning, you showed up here not by accident, but because you needed to be reminded of how much God loves you in this season of life and that you're not alone. And if that's you this morning, I want to give you a chance to step into faith for the very first time. To step out of the old life of thinking you can do everything on your own and carrying the weight of all of that and stepping into new life with Jesus where he promises to give you a brand new heart and change you from the inside out. If that's you this morning, I'm going to invite you to pray a simple prayer after me in your heart. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for pursuing me. And thank you for sacrificing what you valued most so that my life could be redeemed and my heart could be restored and I could experience hope Today, I want to place my trust in you. And I believe that you love me enough to sacrifice the son, your son, for my sake. And I pray, God, that you would give me the strength to follow you in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. And I want to ask those of you who prayed that prayer in your heart to take one more step of faith because we believe that when you respond physically to what God is doing spiritually in your life, there is power in that act of faith, that act of obedience. And so I'm going to ask you on the count of three just to raise your hand and to let us know what God is doing in your life. One, you are so loved by God. Two, you didn't show up here on accident. Three, go ahead and raise your hand this morning if you prayed that prayer. I see you, 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 I see you. If you're tuning in online, I want to encourage you to go ahead and click that button at the bottom of the screen that has the open hand. We have a team of people that love to get you some resources to help you connect and grow in your relationship with God. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you that you were a peacemaker that in the midst of a culture that is surrounded by conflict in every part of our lives, God, we, we pray that you would give us the heart and the mind to create peace, to bring unity in a fractured world. God, I thank you for every person that showed up this morning and opened their hearts 
to continue in a relationship with you. And I pray, God, that you would help them to experience the peace that only comes through a relationship with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.